Chapter 25 The Psychology of Christ, His Unity Our Lord is truly one. We, however, because our faculty of understanding must dissect things first in order to make a synthesis afterwards, have a tendency to see in our Lord the divine person and the divine acts on the one hand, and on the other the human nature and human acts. We seem to think of our Lord as acting sometimes as man and sometimes as God. Such a way of thinking is a great illusion. Certainly, our Lord's actions are different, sometimes manifesting His divinity, sometimes manifesting His humanity. His acts are theandric, so to speak. It is necessary to respect the profound unity of our Lord, which is perfect. There are no divisions in Him. We must avoid thinking that in him man and God are opposed in some way, for this is not the case at all. The best proof of this is that our Lord, when speaking of himself, says, I. The I which our Lord uses shows that in him there is but one subject of attribution. All his acts, all his thoughts, all the acts of love that he makes, all of his attitudes are all united in this I, which signifies one divine person, for there is only one person in our Lord. Everything is attributed to the divine person of our Lord. The least human act, the least breath of our Lord, is truly a divine breath attributable to the person. There is then no division in our Lord between God and man. Father Bonservant explains it thus. First, let's consider Jesus in himself. The one we see, speak, and act looks like a man, outwardly like his brothers in all things. But he acts and speaks with the authority of a God. We cannot perceive any crack in his personality. It is perfectly one. Should we call him God and man? The use of the connecting conjunction AND threatens to break the unity. Let us say, following the received usage, a man-God. The perfect unity is shown in that we find in Jesus a single I, a sole subsistence, to use the theologian's word, a single subject of attribution. This unique I is that of the eternal Son of God. Strictly speaking, we do not perceive in him a human eye, according to the dogmatic principle that teaches that the humanity of Jesus did not enjoy the normal completion which is the person. This role is assured by the person of the word. Nevertheless, the human nature of Christ exercises all the operations which are proper to it. We grasp better the exact relation between the two natures, the divine and the human. The common tendency is to place them on the same level as two equal elements, as if they took turns as subject. But the Gospels give no indication of such an attribution or division. Moreover, speaking as the Son possessing nothing which he has not received from his Father, Jesus attributes his divine works to the Father who acts in him, who, in his everlasting love, never ceases to communicate to Jesus the divinity. 
St. Thomas uses a very enlightening expression, which he says that he learned from St. John Damascene to explain this relationship of the two natures. Christ's humanity is instrumentum conjunctum divinitati, a perfectly docile instrument, because it is intimately united to the divinity who uses it. Les Enseignements de Jésus, pages 418 to 419. The conference on this subject stops here. The reader may be interested in reading the conclusion that the editor believed it useful to insert following the same pure line of Archbishop Lefebvre in the school of St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Thomas, and Father Bonservant. In our Lord there is a triple unity of operation. First, the unity that attributes to the Father and the Son inseparably all the acts emanating from his divine nature, in the order of this divine nature, from the consubstantiality of the persons. Secondly, the unity that attributes to the unique person of Jesus, the person of the Word, all the acts emanating either from his divine nature or from his human nature, in the order of the subsistence, that is, in the order of the subject of attribution. Finally, as a consequence of the second unity, a third unity that links to the divine nature of our Lord all the acts emanating from his human nature, not by mingling the two operations, human and divine, but by their necessary implication and intimate connection, according to what St. Thomas teaches following St. Cyril. Now it is clear that to be begotten belongs to human nature and likewise to walk, yet both were in Christ supernaturally, since he was convinced by a virgin and walked on water. So too he wrought divine things humanly, and when he healed the leper, Matthew 8.3, an act of divine power, with a touch, a human action. Father Bonservant writes, this perfect unity and synergy of the two natures must exclude the questions one readily asks about the properties and activities of the man-god. To which of the two natures do they belong? Which would practically be equal to dissociating the two natures. There is not a single one of his operations, not even the least physical gesture, that is not assumed by the divinity. He says, assumed by the divinity, not only by the divine person, but also by the divine nature, according as the sacred manhood of our Lord is the choice instrument, the inseparable instrument, consubstantial, in the hand of the principal agent, the divine word, according to his divine understanding and will.